Hey y'all, my name is Laura. Welcome back to Eco Chic. It is so good to have you here today. I hope you are having a really fabulous week so far. I know y'all like educational episodes. I know you like the quickies and we have not done one of those in a minute. So I'm excited today to talk about something that is a very current event and that is around the state of Texas and Texas losing power during winter storms. And of course, also during summer heat waves, but given the time of year, given what's going on right now, we're gonna talk about why Texas loses power during storms. To get the most complete understanding as we can in the next uh, 15 or so minutes, I want to first do a Cliff's Notes deep dive on power grids and what power grids are. And then we're gonna talk about Texas. And then more broadly, we gotta get into a brief history of power in the US. I feel like this is a really important episode, not just because of the current event nature of it, but because as Americans, as regular citizens, the vast, vast majority of us do not understand how power grids work. We really take for granted the concept that you could plug something into a wall and something happens. A charge comes out, you flip a switch and you know a light is going to turn on. We really take the reliability of the American power system for granted. And if you're listening internationally, the same goes there. A lot of the Western world has very little reason to understand energy and understand power and understand how power grids work. A fun fact about me, not that anyone asked, but I do have a day job and that day job happens to be in energy. So I think about this just about every single day. And I think I've told this story before on the podcast, but there was a time in graduate school, probably about four or five years ago at this point that, wow, I'm getting old, that I was taking this energy seminar and one of the first assignments in this class was to download your energy bill, figure out what your rate is, why you're paying the rate that you are, and if that is truly the best rate for your usage. And the point of the assignment was that no one knew what they were paying for and no one really got it right. Because in a lot of cases, we have, again, very little understanding of how power grids work, of how utilities work, of what we're actually paying for when we pay our electric bill. But also, we have very little incentive to do it. If the difference between one rate and another is saving you 4 or $5 a month, why would you go in and learn about it if that 4 or $5 is not enough to incentivize you to learn about the different rates? And in a lot of cases, there's like 30 or 40 different rates that you can choose from within a utility. So there's a lot to unpack and there's really very little opportunity for us to learn about this in the public space. But every winter there is some big storm, there's a big story about power outages, very often in the state of Texas, and I think that's a perfect opportunity for us to familiarize ourselves with what it is that we are taking for granted. That being said, if you enjoy this episode, if you learn something, send it to a friend, post it on your Instagram story, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also now rate on Spotify, and I want to be a five-star show. So I really appreciate the support, and you can always interact with me on social at Podcast on Instagram. I want to become more of a TikTok user, so I'm working on that. I'm also Podcast over there, and I will be sharing some graphics and more visuals to go along with this episode because I think that a lot of the way that we understand the power system and the country as a whole is really reliant on some of those visuals. So if you want even more on Texas and power grids and everything of the sort, I will be sharing more on socials. Let's open up our conversation today talking very broadly about what a power grid is. 
We very often talk about the grid the way a lot of us talk about the cloud. We know it exists and we know it's important, but we don't actually know anything about it. So the grid is essentially a network for delivering electricity from producers to consumers. I think that's a very textbook definition and I wanna break it down a little bit further. When we talk about electricity producers, this is power plants. So coal power plants, we're talking utility scale solar, wind farms, wind turbines, anything that is creating, quote unquote, a fuel. The consumer is you. The consumer is your home, your business, charging stations, absolutely anywhere that you are seeing a power outlet, that's a consumer point. And then another important term here to better understand, because we said the grid is a network for delivering electricity, how is that electricity being delivered? Generally speaking, it's power lines. When we're leaving a producer, so again, a power plant or a solar field or something like that, we have these huge, thick power lines from these producers. Again, this is bulk power. This is like the Costco of electricity. Bulk power is then broken down into smaller power lines. And then that big bulk regional power gets broken into smaller and smaller power lines across regions, eventually into microgrids, into cities, into neighborhoods, until it's eventually delivered to this individual consumer. Again, you or your business or your home or whatever it is. This is kind of nerdy, but when I'm on a road trip or if I'm driving along a highway, I love to look at power lines and I love to look at how thick or thin those power lines are because it says a lot about what kind of community is in that area, how many consumers there are, how far you are from the producer, and it gives you a better understanding of how society is kind of laid out along these highways. So just a fun little car activity if you're looking for one. When we talk about consumers and producers, and again, how society is laid out beyond these fuel sources, it's important to remember that each state, each neighborhood, each city has its own energy supply and demand. So power grids are these energy highways that help us manage the flow of electrical power throughout the region. And it helps us best meet the demand in that particular area. Because demand is not uniform across a region or across a state or even across a city, it's really important to recognize that the power grid has to be dynamic in a sense. We have to be able to move electricity from one area to another when demand is high in one area and supply is high in another. So that's the value of having a power grid. It helps us better manage supply and demand when we're looking at a really large pot, quote unquote, of energy. In the United States, there are three power grids. These are also called interconnections. There's an Eastern power grid that takes up a lot of the East Coast and the Midwest. There is a Western power grid, and there is Texas. The Texas interconnection is sometimes referred to as ERCOT, E-R-C-O-T, who is technically the grid operator. ERCOT stands for the Electricity Reliability Council of Texas. So that's another interesting thing to note here. There is a difference between a grid and a grid operator. There are businesses that manage this grid. There are producers, there are suppliers. So there's a lot of players in the game of managing electricity across the US. Now the core question of our combo today, why is Texas on its own power grid? Here's the CliffsNotes version. FDR presented an infrastructure package in the 1930s to support the growing demand for power across the country. Electricity is becoming more and more available, and we're recognizing that we need to manage supply and demand. 
FDR's plan created two grids, the Eastern Grid and the Western Grid, and these are, again, interconnections. Texas essentially said, no thanks, we're going to do this ourselves. They seceded from this plan and they built their own independent grid. Now, I want to share another interesting historical fun fact about this. In the 1990s, Texas deregulated its grid, which basically means the energy highways that exist in this grid are privately owned by producers and providers. I want us to unpack why power grid independence is really problematic. This is going to help us answer our ultimate question of why is Texas losing power during winter storms? The interconnections that were created when FDR said, let's do a Western grid and an Eastern grid were really created to share power between regions, between producers, and to help us meet the demand where power supply may be low. Again, managing that demand and supply of power. Because the Texas grid is independent, it cannot give or receive power from other grids. So that means when there is a supply shortage, that's it. The grid is just out of power. If demand is higher than the grid can supply, there's nowhere for them to pull from. The connections physically do not exist. Also, really quick, let's go back to that fun fact of the Texas grid being deregulated. This is problematic because that means the grid is market-driven because the producers can manage the power supply to the market. So when there is higher demand, we can see higher prices. Or if supply is anticipated to be low, that means you can have a sudden blackout because the producers can choose where they're sending that electricity. Keep in mind, this podcast is like a super introductory 101 Cliff's Notes version. But I also want us to better understand what makes power supply low. In a normal scenario every day, the grid responds to normal events. So, for example, if everyone is coming home at 5 p.m. and they're turning on their lights and turning on their ovens, we know that that area is demanding more energy than it was during the day at noon. So the grid is going to respond appropriately. We're going to be pushing more electricity to that neighborhood to meet that demand or that anticipated demand. In a normal situation, the power producers can prepare for activities like that. When we have an extreme event like a snowstorm or a hurricane or some other situation where individuals are demanding more electricity than normal, more energy than normal, that's stressing out the supply. So for example, let's talk about a snowstorm. Everyone is running space heaters for longer than usual periods of time. They're running generators. They are at home all day. There's a demand that is not normally being demanded. When producers cannot make, quote unquote, enough power, when they cannot provide enough power, regions and microgrids can pull from other producers in that interconnection. If there is a snowstorm in New York, but Florida is doing a-okay business as usual, the grid can move some extra supply up to where that demand is for heaters and generators and whatever else it was that we just mentioned. Because Florida and New York are on the same grid. They're on the eastern interconnection. So again, because Texas is on its own independent grid, pulling from producers outside of Texas is literally not possible when supply is low and when market decisions are forcing quote unquote blackouts, aka there's no power being supplied in that grid because it's at the supplier's discretion. And theoretically, we could stop there. That's why Texas sees power outages during snowstorms. 
I think this is also a really cool place to talk more deeply about the history of energy and power grids in America. This is one of my favorite like rabbit hole deep dive Wikipedia topics. I will have some articles listed in the show notes so you can go in, do some more reading if you want to look at diagrams, if you want to poke around. I feel like this is just really good to know and kind of fun. I'm going to take us way, way back. We are going to 1752. Our boy Benjamin Franklin is out there with his kite and his key. And he's like, you know, I think we can harness this into something useful. I don't actually think that's how the story goes. I'm not going to get too deep into Benjamin Franklin because that's like a whole other history lesson that we're going to get into. But let's keep it on energy. Our other boy, Thomas Edison, patents the first light bulb in 1879. So we finally have commercialized light bulbs. We are finally getting electric light in homes and becoming more and more accessible. So again, that year was 1879, 1880, let's say. So that's the first commercial light bulb. But at this point, we're starting to already see utility companies. So around the same time in the late 1800s, utilities throughout the country in regions that would eventually become the Eastern Interconnection and the Western Interconnection and Texas those utility companies are starting to realize that they're generating electricity at a higher supply than they actually are being demanded for different just commercial operations. This is the point when companies start to sell their extra electricity to businesses and homes around the facility. So anyone living or working in the area around a power company now had access to power so they could start using Thomas Edison's commercial light bulb. We learn a little bit more about power lines and how to safely and effectively transfer power from the utility to areas farther and farther away. And we start democratizing electricity, essentially. The more we expanded the reach of these utilities, the more obvious it was that supply and demand needed to be better managed. So in 1935, Congress passed the Federal Power Act. This is what gave the federal government the authority to regulate the transfer of electricity between states. Remember, I mentioned earlier FDR's infrastructure package. This was part of that bigger package. This is also around World War II, and there is more and more power being pulled and demanded around the Gulf Coast, the Gulf of Mexico. This is the moment when... All the utilities in Texas get together. They come to an agreement that they are not sending any power out of the state. Quite literally, the utilities in Texas formed an alliance and told FDR, leave us out of your national infrastructure plan. And that's what happened. The reality of it was that electricity was becoming more and more democratized, again, to use that word. And they needed their own system, too. So in 1941, we get the Texas Interconnected System. This allowed for any extra generation within the state to be transferred along the Gulf Coast, again, supporting those World War II take power to the Gulf Coast reasons. Quick aside, I don't think we recognize how recent this really is in the grand scheme of American history. It's really not that long ago that we started seeing electricity in homes much less not that long ago that we actually have extra electricity and managing supply and demand because we're all living very different, very busy lives across the country. Back to our timeline. In 1965, we see the worst ever power outage in U.S. history. Texas was miraculously not involved, but it did get us to start thinking about policy changes and federal regulations that would allow our grid to be more reliable. 
We started seeing more regulators, we started seeing operators, and it was just generally better management of the power system. Again, 1965, really not all that long ago. Eventually, this prompted Texas to go from the Texas Interconnected System to form the Electricity Reliability Council of Texas, ERCOT, ERCO, in 1970. Five years later, they created a public utility commission that would now have the oversight of all the utilities in Texas. I don't think we talk all that much about regulations and operators when it comes to grids. This doesn't just happen in Texas, but this happens all across the country. There are so many utilities. And how is it that prices stay fair? How do we prevent monopolies? How do we prevent utilities from taking advantage of people when they don't have other options for their electricity providers? And that is the job of a regulator. They are generally government appointed. In some states, I believe you can vote for them, for your regulators. These are essentially the people making sure that your utility provider is not scamming you very severely. The state of Arizona is actually a great example of this and a very in the news example. There are three primary investor owned utilities in the state of Arizona. They are the biggest and the baddest, but across the state, there are actually 32 electricity providers meaning the vast majority of these providers are really small in remote areas and smaller areas. But overall, there's only one regulator, and that's the Arizona Corporation Commission. They oversee all of the electric power industry across the state. So that means whether you are living in a really remote area or a bigger metro area, the price of power should be very comparable. And I think this helps us paint a better picture of all of the actors in energy. So you have your utilities, again, those are your producers, you have your consumers, and you have the people who manage that relationship. So those are your grid operators who's managing that supply and demand, and your regulators who is pricing that demand fairly. And I think that's all to say, there's nothing scary with looking at your utility bill and figuring out if you're on the right rate plan for yourself. I'm curious if you are to look into your state's utility and regulators, if they are state appointed, or if they are voted on. And I'm curious what we're all thinking about power grid independence. Texas, in my mind, is a really interesting case study and almost a little experimental when we're thinking about the history of energy because there was really two options for the federal government. Either build out national infrastructure and regulate that infrastructure or leave it up to the states. And this is a really interesting example, again, when we're thinking about states' rights versus more federal oversight. And all in all, it's just a story I really like. I think this is information that a lot of us don't talk a whole lot about ever. And I think it's a good one to go through with you. So thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Thanks for being interested in this. These are topics that I love to talk about and I need someone to talk about them with. And I'm glad that it's y'all. With that, thanks so much for listening to Eco Chic. Again, my name is Laura, and I'm really curious to know what you think of this episode, how you like these episodes, and what you want to do a deep dive educational talk into in the future. You can always reach out to me on Instagram, like I said, at Eco Chic Podcast. You can share this show with a friend. You can get more involved. Also, I mentioned I'm going to be sharing some like visuals, graphics, things like that, maybe a little slideshow so we could read through some of these definitions that we went through today because I recognize that it's a lot of information. And if it's overwhelming for you, I'm sorry about that, but I will go ahead and say it took me a long time to understand it, much less be able to explain it to anyone. So it's a tough topic. It's a lot to unfold, but I think just thinking about energy as something that we are fitting into our Econ 101 framework of supply and demand with price in the middle 
that's a very simple way to get a surprisingly comprehensive understanding of what's going on in the power grid. So yeah, I hope you learned a little something. Thanks again for hanging out and I will talk to you very soon. Have a good day. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.